Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode number 39 of the Chris Rose Rotation, a production of John Boy Media, and today we've got something special. I'm actually giving all the co-hosts a breather because I'm going one-on-one with an active Major League umpire for the first time ever. His name is Jim Wolf. You baseball fans are probably familiar with him. He's been behind the dish and on the field for some of the biggest games of the last two-plus decades. Now, truth be told, we recorded this conversation about a month ago or so. So this was before the whole foreign substance issue where umpires had to come out and check the pitchers. So we're not going to cover that, but we are going to cover a ton of topics, how he became interested in becoming a major league umpire, the journey he took, some of the odd jobs he had to take in the offseason just to supplement his income. He was on the field for some of the biggest games over the last few decades how he deals with failures, a major league umpire. So we're covering it all. He's a great storyteller. He's going to go over some of his most famous ejections as well of players and uh, managers and coaches. So it's a blast. So you will definitely enjoy it. Now, there's one other thing I want to cover with you as well. And sometimes for us dudes, it's a tough topic to talk about. And it's ED. And that's why my friends over at Roman are here to help you out. So go to roman.com slash rose right now because listen i i've been embarrassed to talk about it sometimes you have about with ed things aren't working out great in the bedroom but here's what roman can do to help you out they're going to give you a free online evaluation uh, and they're going to cover the entire gamut so they're going to do this over the phone in the comforts of your own home you don't have to go into a doctor's office you don't have to stand in line at a pharmacy or anything else it's strictly a one-on-one conversation with a licensed individual. They're going to set you up with a plan and off you go. So it's very simple to get started. Roman.com slash Rose for a complete online visit. And if you go to Roman.com and slash Rose, you'll get $15 off of your first month. Not bad. That is $15 saving off of your first month. So it's awesome. Go get your online visit today. Go take care of it. It's not a problem that can't be resolved. You'll be happier, and that special someone in your life will be happy as well. Hey, what's your nickname again? Mike. Mike, call me Wolfie. Hey, don't you have a nickname? Like, it's Tito, but I don't know. I'll call you Tito. All right, man, thanks. I think you got a big shirt on today. Shrink, I'm getting old. Jim Wolf, who has been a major league umpire since 99, was that Napoli getting on you for your, uh, for your tight shirts? Well, that is my favorite color. <laughs> I want to welcome you to the Chris Rose Rotation. You are the first umpire we have had on. Thank you so much. Honored. Honored. Thanks for having me. Okay, well, let's let's start with the cool stuff. You, I'm catching you on your vacation week, which we will delve into because nobody knows the schedule of an umpire that's a, a baseball fan. How'd you hit him? Mm, not very good, frequently. Uh, okay. 81, a couple double bogeys killed me. Two birdies, though. There's a lot of people who are going to say 81. I'd kill for 81, but you are a, you used to be close to scratch. Uh, yeah, it was a 1.1, and then I got hurt last year, uh, a week and a half into the COVID season, and it stopped me from playing, and I had to change my swing. So it took me all this time to get where I am, and now I'm a 6-1. Oh, wow. I know, I suck. But those are the guys that take the money on the course. I'm just t- the guys that have been there and can putt for it. Don't act like that. That, that ain't true because it's true. Mm, not anymore because I play with better golfers. Oh, yeah. So they got to give me strokes though, so I got to take advantage. Okay. All right. Now let's get in your gig. 
I got to be honest with you. When I was a little kid, I was like, man, I want to grow up and be a baseball player. I did not say I want to grow up and be an umpire. Who, who the hell does that? Very, 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 very few people. I didn't, I wasn't one of those guys either. I was like with you. I wanted, I was a catcher. I wanted to be in pros. I want to play be major league. Gary Carter was my guy. And then uh, I just wasn't good enough to play. I played junior college ball. And what, that's when I started umpiring during junior college. And like the catchers would call the balls and strikes during our scrimmage in the wintertime before they made cuts. So we had like three and four catchers. So while the catchers were calling balls and strikes, I would go like, hey, why don't I go behind the mound and I'll call the game? Did that. I'm like, well, I had another off day where I'm like, well, why don't I go behind the catcher? I'll put on two chest protectors and I'll, I'll just be a regular umpire. Started having fun doing that. I'm like, hey, man, I wonder if I can make some money doing this on the weekends, have some beer money, still living at home. And I started falling in love with that more than playing. And where I used to play uh, baseball at West Hills at Pony League and uh, an umpire I worked with said, hey, you know, if your playing career doesn't work out, he obviously saw something in me that I couldn't play that he goes, I think you have what you're, uh, they're looking for. I think you should go to umpire school. Now I was going to junior college. So what kind of student do you think I was? I'm like school. <laughs> so I'm like, he goes, no, it's only five weeks. I, I really think you have what they're looking for. I'm like, yeah, okay. A couple years later, I'm like, well, I got nothing going on. I'm a personal trainer at Bally Total Fitness. And I got nothing going on. I'm like, well, what the hell? Let's go. So I went to umpire school. I went to Harry Wendelstedt's and it was eye-opening. I'm like, wow, these guys are pretty good. Some guys weren't, but a lot of the guys that had been second-year guys, third-year guys, they knew what to expect. And I'm like, I'm going in in jeans. You know, guys are wearing suits and the orientation. I'm going with jeans and, like, these steel-toe boots. I'm like, total, like, T-shirt, whatever. I had no idea what to expect. So they had about 150 students. And back then there were three schools. There was uh, Fremming, Brinkman, and then Jimmy Evans Academy. And they all selected 10 guys out of their student body to go to umpire development, which is now Peabuck. And I think now is major leagues running. So I was lucky enough to be one of those 10. And then, so there's 30 guys going into umpire development about ready to go into the minor league, the rookie leagues and the happy league and the Northwest league, all those rookie leagues. So I, I was lucky enough. That was back in 94. So where'd you end? Like, you get sent to rookie ball once you're good enough to make the cut of 10? I was. I, I was, I was, as a matter of fact, out of all the 30 guys, I mean, I'm fast forwarding way in front, but out of 30 guys, I was the only guy to make the big leagues. Oh my God. So, but where did they send you immediately out of that school? And that's, that's phenomenal. But I mean, that's at that point, you don't, you're not making enough money to, Make 12, it right. You you supplement 12, your income. Twelve hundred dollars a month. How much? Twelve hundred. That's it for the season. So it's a two and a half long, two and a half month long season. So twelve hundred. That's a lot of money for me because I made you know, at a, as a personal trainer, I made like eight nine bucks an hour. So this is pretty good money for me. But it was only for two and a half months, and then we got selected to go. Some of us got selected to go to instruction. We got for that, but I was in the Arizona rookie. And that's when I fell in love and discovered Arizona. And while we stayed, they kept us in South Scottsdale and we'd go out in Old Town every night. <laughs> and that's when I fell in love with Scottsdale. I'm like, oh my God, if I ever get a full-time job in the big leagues, I'm moving here. So a year after I got hired, 
I'm okay. But take me through that journey. So you're now working games out in Arizona. You're making twelve hundred a month. I imagine you're supplementing your income other ways, right? Were you still like a personal trip? What What did you do? I first off season, I went back to my gym, worked there. Wasn't really making a lot of money. So the next off season, I became a pool cleaner. <laughs> yes. Now I'm not laughing at the pool pool boy profession believe me that is hard work i would never laugh at it but did you show up in mask and with a chest protector <laughs> no because it would get rusty being all around those chemicals it would just degrade everything but it's so unglorified it's such a myth about the pool boy thing because well i had to do it in the winter time the water's cold and it's rainy you know southern california it gets cold and rainy it's miserable and your hands get all cracked and wrinkly and stuff like that. It's miserable. So, so that wasn't fun. So I did that for one of us. So wait a time, second. No, no, yeah. no. I want to get to the pool boy thing still. So were you like driving around the valley? You weren't married at the time. Did you have your shirt off and go into the, like the homes? Like, like it was Melrose place back in the nineties. So that's such a fantasy, dude. That's such a fantasy. I swear to God, if this was the summertime, maybe I might have a shot. But I'm like in a sweatshirt and a hoodie and all that stuff, pants. It was cold. Dealing with that cold water, the water's like fifty degrees, miserable. Yeah. Trying to work with a wrench and like you know breaking my fingers on a wrench, all that stuck. No, it's, it was it was awful. And you're my dog. Yeah. And um, so. That was miserable. It was not a fun job. And I didn't do it in the summertime, obviously, because I was right. working. But, um, it was just, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And right. the truck that I used, as a matter of fact, my brother, this was probably 1997. My brother had just signed with the Phillies, so he had my signing bonus. So he For people that don't know, by the way, his oh. brother is Randy Wolf, pitched 16 years in the big leagues. Good left-hander. Keep going. Sorry. He bought me my truck. It was like a 1987 S10 extra cab. You know, he splurged. And that thing ran pretty good. And I had that all the way up until 1999. And I was driving to spring training from LA back when I lived in LA and the transmission going. And I had to have towed like 100 miles. It was such an expensive <laughs> tow job. All right, quickly run through some other jobs that you had in the off season while you were working your way up the. Oh, okay, I got, I got, I got. Is this is this censored? Do you censor this? So can I can go I like go for it? Quote. So in 2000, I was a I sold shoes for Bloomingdale's women's shoes. Okay, that was, that was kind of cool. So you were like uh, like Ed O'Neill in Married with Children. Totally, totally. I had to wear the suit and everything. Blooming okay. and stuff, you know, made pretty good money doing that, but they fired me. And then, um, as first job, only job I got fired from was stupid. So, the following year, I was a limo driver. So, I had to drive the stretch and the town car and all that. They didn't have SUVs yet. So, it was all cars. So, I had to, and it was pre phone navigation. So, I was relying on the Thomas Guidebook. I don't know if anybody knows what that is. I know you do. So I, I'm, like, I'm like driving. I'm like, the book's on the come. I'm like, where do I go next? Oh, God. So I had to, if I didn't, wasn't able to plot my course, you know, pre-plot it, then I'm like, I totally had to wait. I'm like, turn page, like, where's F10? Oh, wait, well, you know. So it sucked. So that, I never did that again. That was, that was awful. Could I ask you about how, that those things look impossible to park. 
they are challenged and you need your own, like you can't double, you can't like parallel park. It. No chance. I can't as a first year rookie guy. I could, I couldn't parallel park. I'm sure there's some guys that can, but no chance. What was I, the craziest limo story you got for me? I drove, uh, I drove this party. The coolest one was I got to drive um, Dick Ember to the Espies. Didn't wow. say I was the typical, you know, I knew my place. I'm like, I didn't want us. I knew exactly who he was. I didn't want us, you know, yeah, I'm a big fan, you know, whatever. So I just, you know, he, he was pretty quiet. He was by himself. He wasn't even uh, with his wife or anything like that. But that was the, that was the coolest one. The most wild one is I drove, it was a bachelor party. Nightmare, nightmare. They were just rowdy. Let's go. They were just totally winging. Hey, how about we go here? I'm like, I don't know where that is. I'm like, uh, I'm like, I'm looking through the Thomas guy. I'm like, oh, G8, G8. Oh, God. And then there's, oh, God, H23. Oh, where's that? Where's, you know, because the maps are so stupid. So that was, and all over the, all night, and they were drunk and obnoxious. And like, hey, Jim, man, Jake is here. I'm like, what am I, a cab driver? I don't know where this is. That was the worst one. And it was all night, all the way till two o'clock in the morning. And I had to drive him back to the one. Luckily, I didn't have to drive him back individually to their own homes. I dropped them all off the one house. That was that was not fun. Oh my God. But they were they were cool, but obnoxious. You know what I mean? Are there any other jobs we should cover before the one where you're here to talk about? Uh my last jobs, I guess last job was were over three years. I worked for my cousin. He had a hotel renovation company. And um, I was the Home Depot bitch. I would be the guy that gets in the truck, drives to Home Depot, gets some materials and tools, the drywall, the drill bits, you know, all that crap. And I would drive back and forth from the hotel to Home Depot. And I was in various sites. I was in uh, um, up in Santa Rosa. I was in Marina Del Rey. I was in a lot of Southern California parts, Torrance, San Diego. Um, and that was fun because it was, there was, I had some freedom. Yeah. Couldn't really do much. I mean, I, I was on kind of a time. I had to go get the stuff and bust my ass back, but that was the, the coolest job. And the, and the workers were cool. I was working with my cousin and that, that, that was probably the coolest, funnest job I had. All right. So let's take you back to your minor league days as you're working your way up the, the ladder. What was the craziest? Cause shit gets crazy down there. Like there's massive fights all the time. It's so much testosterone guys fighting for their livelihood. Was there ever a time you're like, what the hell is going on? The worst I ever saw was in double a and Texas league in Midland. And it was, uh, can't remember who they were playing. It was Midland angels. And there was a good bench player and, you know, throwing, throwing guys, bean balls. They were getting to fighting. And it was weird. It was, I was the crew chief at the time. This is 98. And I'm not tooting my own horn, but it was kind of weird. I felt like Moses in a way. I just shouted at everybody, everybody get back to the dugout. Get your asses back to the dugout so you're getting run. And it was kind of like, oh, okay. And I'd never experienced that before. And I'd never experienced it since. So I don't know, understand what happened, but it worked. So when you got your call to the bigs, was it like when your brother got his call to the bigs? Did you guys ever talk about that? You know what? No. Isn't that weird? Um, mine was, I was in Fresno. 
And uh, Tom Leopard called me. He goes, hey, it was September 2nd. So it was the day after that, the mass resignation mess. Mm. But, yeah, I was in replacing Jerry Crawford. Jerry Crawford was in Philly or New York doing some negotiating. So I went to replace him. And he goes, uh, yeah, so we need you in Candlestick Park. And I was happy to work Candlestick Park because it's gone now. But uh, that was cool. Uh, but he goes, yeah, they're playing Philly. I go, um, hey, uh, I just want to let you know my brother plays. He's a pitcher for the Phillies. He goes, oh, shit. He goes, but I go, it's okay. I don't think he's pitching today. He goes, okay, well, find out. And if he is, let me know. And I'll work around it. I go, okay. So it turns out he wasn't pitching. So I got to work third base, Brian Gorman, Phil Cuzzy, and uh, Alfonso Marquez. And um, I got to work third base, and that was by far the most nervous I'd ever been working third base. Now it's like, <sighs> you know, but then I'm like, you couldn't fit a grease BB on my ass. But um, it was, it was nerve wracking. And luckily I think I had one call. I think I had a foul ball call and that was it. And timeout. I had a timeout too. And that was it. So it was nice. And before the game, uh, my brother and I took a picture and we got to, you know, fit. and it was, there was a sign in the background saying how many days were left it was the last year at Candlestick. So right. there were, I don't know, 80 games or 30 games left or something like that. And that was kind of cool. And uh, we got a picture, a cool picture of us. Okay. So this is just off the top of my head. Was it rolling at third for the Phillies? Do you even remember who the third baseman it was? was that it was rolling. Yeah. Okay. It was, he didn't say anything. He didn't know me. And he's, and he's kind of surly. So he, I'm shocked he didn't. The cool thing was my brother was at the end of the third base dug. So the whole time – I'm like 50 feet away from him. That was awesome. I thought. And he's just, was, was he riding you? No, no. I think he understood. <laughs> I was nervous. So. He actually, he knew I was nervous. Cause I'm like, I remember shaking his hand prior to the game and my hands were real clammy. So I'm, I'm pretty sure he knew. All right. But so I, I look over every now and then. What about the first time behind the dish? If you were nervous at third, you must've wanted to throw up. <sighs> My first time behind the dish was okay. I had, I don't know, I think it was my ninth game in the major leagues. And it was happened to be at Candlestick, which was kind of cool. Um, it was with uh, Randy Marsh, Mark Carlson, and, I don't know, God, I can't even remember the third guy, fourth guy, whatever. Um, and it was against the Marlins. I remember that. And it was, a, it was September, like, 25th. So, and they were both out of it which was nice because there was no like real pressure to mm -hmm. and they left me alone. Really? Now I didn't get any complaints. Um, and back in the day, if you call strikes, they leave you alone. That was pre ZE and quest tech and right. K's and all that crap. So, um, when was the first time you, you did have somebody kind of get at you in the major leagues? The first time, well, God, there, there happened so much that I, I can't remember, but, the worst, the worst time was on my birthday in 2002. It was July 24th in Wrigley. Jason Kendall hit a slow roller to third. And uh, Gutierrez, I can't remember, Ricky, Ricky yep. Gutierrez? Mm -hmm. Kind of threw a little lollipop out of first, and it was a short hop. I called him out, and Kendall just snapped on me. He goes, how can you miss that? How can you miss that? How can you miss that? I'm like, dude. Just talk to me. Okay? Easy. Just talk to me. Because I'm like, you know, I'm not going to yell back. Just talk to me, man. He goes, how can you miss it? How can you miss it? So the first base coach is trying to pull him away, pull him away. 
manager's up there pulling away. And he says, because you're horseshit. I'm like, now you got to go. He breaks free, bumps me. Ooh. And then they finally get him away. And, and they finally pull him away. And I kind of veer off a little bit. I had nowhere to go. Like, uh, you know, I'm at my position. So, and it wasn't the third out. So I can't walk into the outfield and walk back. So I was at my position. So he, they got him away. And that was it. So the next day. I got home plate. Who's catching? Oh, God. Kendall's catching. So he goes, hey, man, my bad about yesterday, man. I just, I just snapped. And at the time, I was living in Huntington Beach. And so he goes, yeah, man, my bad. So, so hey, so he's, he's, you know, throwing the ball back. So where do you live? I go, uh, Huntington Beach. He goes, oh, no way. I live in Redondo Beach, man. Oh, that's cool. Now I'm really sorry. I'm like, <laughs> so you weren't sorry before. But now he's, okay, cool. So we went on the game. Game was great. No problem. I walk into the locker room and on my chair is a big 1.75 liter thing of absolute vodka. I'm like, boy, if I only drank. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but that was cool. I mean, it was getaway day. So I'm like, well, we've got to leave it in the freezer for the rest of the guys to come in. So yeah. And I think that was that, that back in the day, that was the gesture they would do is there by saying sorry, they would leave a little something, something for you in the locker room, which I okay. think is such class. Hell yes, it is. It's a, the game's about relationships, Jim. No That's what it is. And, and we forget, listen, you have a job to do. It doesn't mean that you're a jerk when you miss a call. And it doesn't mean that they're jerks when they think you missed a call. And right. right. I mean, I imagine that you've had some amazing relationships with catchers for, or first baseman. Cause I imagine that's where the yeah. most talking goes on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I would say, um, you know, me and Jorge Pizzotta got along pretty well. Um, uh, Damian Miller, he is a good sure. dude. Osmus and I got along. He would be a little surly now and then, but Osmus was cool. Um, Lyle Overbay, he was like, missed, he was like mayor. He's like, what's going on, man? He's like, totally cool. Yeah, I remember he really stuck out as being totally cool. Klesko would be pretty cool, cool too. Um, he'd be like, hey, man, where are, you, where are you playing today, you know? And he, but he was an outdoorsman. He was like a hunter, hunter right. kind of guy. But, but he knew I played golf, so he was kind of, he, uh, he liked to, you know, ask about my interest, too, which is cool. Got it. Was there a manager where you, were, where you remember one? You're like, oh, dude, that was a, that was a doozy. Uh, a couple. Early on in my career, Bochi and I used to butt heads. Huh. Um, uh, of course, but he butted heads with everybody. Um, but then, yeah, I Bobby Cox. I think I think a lot of the managers back in the day, and still do probably, they test the young guys and they want to see how what their limits, what they can take. So, Bochi and I would butt heads. Um, Bobby and I would butt heads. Ran him out of the dugout a few times, but who hasn't? Right, He's got the record doesn't he? Yeah. Um, uh, Bob Melvin and I used to butt heads back in the day. Back when he Melvin. Seattle, yeah, way back in. We were just talking about it during spring training. He goes, "Man, remember back in 2003? You ran me out of the dugout in Boston." He goes, "Yeah, that was awesome. That was that was fun." Um, and those are the real three guys that really that I, that really come to mind. Everyone else has been, you know, cool. So I mean, they gotta go when they gotta go. They gotta go, and I totally get it. But they but they never like really do anything personal to me. They got to they got to defend their team. That's cool. I, I totally understand and respect that. 
So what's your line on, I mean, you want to give him enough rope, but at some point you say, Hey man, beat it. Yeah. I mean, Hey, that's enough. Or, I mean, unless they say your horseshoe or something like that, um, that's automatic, but. Well, hold on. I want to ask you though, if they say the call is horseshit, isn't that different than saying your horseshit? Yep. Yep. Totally different. They can say that's horseshit. That's bullshit. That's that. But the minute they bring you into it, like you fucked us here and you're horseshit and you fucked us here and you, you, you kicked the call. They can actually say you kicked the call. That's fine. Cause they're just saying I missed the call and that's fine. But once they, once they have the expletives, that's that, uh, or you suck or you've been really sucking, you suck today. That's you gotta go. Did any of the real hot temper guys like Terry Collins would have some occasionally Lou Pinella was a, cool- um, uh, you know, I've, I've not on me, fortunately, like I would, but I've seen them go off on other guys. I'm like, wow. And, and luckily the only thing I remember uh, with Pinella is where I, there's a play at the plate and he came back in the, this is a pre-replay. So he came out to argue it, blah, blah, blah. He didn't get ejected. He just came out to argue it. And it was a day game. Shocking in Wrigley, right? And we go out to dinner and he just happens to be at a table. He goes, hey, guys. Hey, by the way, you got that guy call right. I'm like, thanks. I know. But thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. You know? And, uh, and Terry Collins, he, we've always luckily gotten along. I, th- I think Terry Collins is awesome. But I've yeah. seen him guys. I've seen him lose it. Yeah. And because he's been known to put guys' asses in jackpots. <laughs> now, you have also had the honor of working some legendary moments in the sport. You were behind the plate for Dallas Braden's perfect game. Yep. Did you at what point did you realize something special was going on? Fifth inning. Um they ended the top of the fifth. And, you know, with the 2,000 people that are in the stands at that, that point in their time, they, I'm like, well, that sounded weird. That's different. So I look up at the scoreboard and I see 0, 0, 0, 0, 0 1, and then 0, 0, 0, or whatever they have. So I'm like, oh, he's got a no hitter. But I saw that I, I screwed up and I saw the one in the error column, I go, well, it's not a perfect game because obviously some, someone got on base, but I misread it. The error was for the Rays, not for the Oakland. So I knew from the fifth inning on, we had a no-hitter going. And at the end of the game, Jim Joyce, we walked through, right about to walk through the net at the backstop. He goes, congratulations, big boy. You just called a perfect game. And first of all, I don't like – I don't like – that term you called a perfect game because I wasn't perfect. I was the plate umpire for a perfect game. So I like to be accurate when it comes to that. I go, Hey, I wasn't perfect. I missed a couple. Um, but I'm like, no, no, no. But I'm looking back at the score. I'm like, Oh, they made the air. Oh, wow. And I'm like, Whoa, man, it hit me. And I was, that was, that was awesome. That was, that was pretty special. So did Dallas, you know, Dallas is a talkative guy. I've known him for well over a decade. Did he come up to you at some point? He was like, dude, this would never last year. He was doing, he was a sideline guy. Right. And, yeah. And so he was in the first base sideline 
and I was right there and we, we got to talking a little bit in between innings and he was, like, he goes, yeah, it was awesome, man. It was so cool. And I'm like, yeah. And that was the first time we really talked about it. Okay. Nice. You were also behind the dish for Derek Jeter's 3,000th hit. Five five that day, huh? Yeah, that ain't bad. I guess it'll play. Yeah, you know, hold on. So when he when he swung at the ball, were you like, "That's cool"? That was uh, yeah. Right away, I knew it was gone. I go to hand a ball to David Price, and he goes, "What did I just do?" I go, "You just made history." Hand him the ball. And I thought that was kind of cool. And what the cool thing was is that I was supposed to have the plate Friday night. We got rained out, so we had a double header that day. So, um, or they rescheduled for another day. So they changed it to a day game. So I had the plate for that game, and I wouldn't have had the plate otherwise. So I thought that was kind of fateful. Are you allowed to congratulate a guy on a milestone like that? Like the next time he comes up? Yeah. Where you're like, hey, congrats. I did the next day, as a matter of fact. I did. I was at third base, and he was warming up at second base, and bottom, the top of first. And I said, hey, man, congratulations. That's, that's pretty special. And he's, you know, thanks. Being Jeter. Thanks, man. <laughs> you're like, your life is so good, by the way. You know that, Captain. Yeah. I'm just saying. 20 years in New York, a fistful of rings. Never, never getting in trouble. Never, never. in the tabloids. Never. In New York, come on. I mean, that's first ballot Hall of Fame shit right there. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> you kidding me? All right. Um, Jimmy, you are also, unfortunately, there in Detroit on the day that, that your buddy Jim Joyce missed the call on Armando Galarraga's what should have been a perfect game. Once again. Same here, same here the perfect – same here of my perfect game. Braden's perfect game. Same here. A month later. What – I imagine you had to console him. Big, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember working second base that day, and – Ground ball to Cabrera, who, you know, probably should have let the second baseman field it, but, you know, he's got a lot of range, so he, he got it, and his adrenaline's pumping, and he's a competitor. So he got it and threw it to Galarraga, and I'm like, wow, he got it. And I called, saw him call safe, and I literally said it just like this. Oh, no. It was almost like a car accident or someone getting hit by a car. It's just like, oh, no. It was like, oh, it was that tragic, and you couldn't – that was the day, time, you couldn't overturn it. They didn't have replay, and it was just so, so surreal and sad. And but at the same time, it couldn't have happened to a better guy. Any other umpire, I think it would have been ten times worse. But Joycey is such a loved and respected guy on on and off the field that the forget and the way he owned up to it right off the bat, it was just. He didn't know he missed it until we went in the locker room and he saw the replay. And it was just, he owned up to it right away. I mean, he was in tears in the locker room. Dombrowski and Leland both came in. Um, Galarraga came in the, the next day and it was just all was forgiven, except for a couple of jagoffs in the stands, which there always will be. Um, but most everybody forgave him right off the bat and they saw that he handled it with such class. Mm-hmm. And professionalism, it was just like, okay, you're good. It was tough to watch the next day when he walked out and was in tears. And I thought the Tigers did a classy thing having Galarraga walk the lineup card out there because it's, I felt like it diffused the situation. Completely. I was, I was in tears. I had to wipe my tears. Um, it was just an emotional day. It was just, and I felt, it, it, I think 
for Joyce, a weight was lifted and he was, he acknowledged that he was forgiven. And he just, it was just that stress and tension that from the night before just came out and he just, he was so deserving of it though. You know, I mean, it sucks to happen to anyone, but that was the guy to happen to because there's other umpires that results would be so hard headed about it. Won't name any names. I know you will, but, um, that, you know, the, after the interview, they would say, well, that's what I got. That's the call I saw. And that's what I got. And that's what I'm going with. And it's like, mm, maybe not to say, maybe not, it's not the, that's not the right thing to say. So it gets me to another point. And obviously things have changed with replay because we're getting more calls right these days. Things get overturned. Yeah. I guess particularly back in the day, how do you live with it when you know you've messed something up? Is it just like a shortstop who bobbles a ball and he's just got to get on to the next play? Or does it sit with you away from the field? It Back in the day, pre-replay, it sat with me for a couple of days. I would beat myself up pretty good. Pretty good. Um, especially on something, you know, on a real wacker close play, not so much, but on a more wide open play where you can, when they say clearly he's safe or whatever, you know, uh, something where it's like two distinct sounds where you just, you don't, you just got him confused, um, or tag play or something like that. It, that ate at me pretty good. And I'll be honest with you, even during replays time, um, I still beat myself up. I had a play in Miami last year or two years ago, excuse me, where uh, it was against St. Louis and Goldschmidt. It was a ball in dirt and the ball popped up and he caught it. But in between the ball and I couldn't see it because I was looking at the base. I was focused on the base runner touching the base. And but in the time where the ball popped up and before he caught it, the runner had touched the base. So I called him out and then I'm like, they're going to replay for this. What, what are the challenges? And I saw it on Jumbotron. I'm like, and that I was livid, livid at myself for not being able to see that. Um, and I beat myself up for the entire game, the entire game, even mm -hmm. though we overturned it, everything was always good. I was just mad at myself for, uh, for, for missing that. And Trey Hillman was the first base coach from the Marlins at the time. He's like, dude, relax. It's okay. I'm like, no, no, it's not. no, Hmm. Uh, yeah, he's just like trying to, she's trying to tell me jokes and just trying to, you know, light me up. I'm like, I'm not going to work right now. Finally, in the ninth inning, I go, okay, I'm better. I'm a little better. Then he saw me the next day. I'm like, I'm good. I'm good now. Hey, listen, you're passionate about what you do. Nobody I do. Get I, take, you wrong. I take a lot of pride in my job, a lot of pride in my job. And I, I, my, my commitment is perfection and accuracy. Not always perfect, not always accurate, but that is my commitment every time. And I try and learn from my mistakes which we all should do no matter what field we're in. Right. Uh, I'm guessing your profession in terms of popularity amongst the community lies somewhere between um, a divorce attorney and a, uh, a root canal specialist. I was going to say proctologist, but yeah. Um, what yeah. I What's funny is that, uh, you know, in the social media realm and in the general public where they don't know who we are, they have that mentality. Once I like at the golf course and I'm playing with people I don't know, what do you do for a living? If I tell them the truth, um, I tell them what I do. They, they're like, wow, I've never been. I know. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure they're being authentic, but they're like, wow, I've never met a real umpire before. 
and their whole tune changes. Um, it's it's kind of bizarre. Like even people yelling at me from the crowd, heckling me. Once I acknowledge them, they go, "Yeah, that's a good one." They're like, "You suck, you suck," and I go, ah, "That's a good one." You go, ah, "I love you." They they just they just flip, and once they can't hate me anymore, it's kind of it's it's kind of changes things. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. It happens with a lot of players too. For sure. Once they acknowledge and just say, "Yeah, that was that was funny," I laugh. Then if they diffuse the situation. All of a sudden, you're like, "Jim Wolf, talk to me." Exactly. Exactly. Talk to me. I had a good one in spring training this year, back when they let fans in. I had a play, close play at first. And a kid, he's probably 18, he goes, hey, Blue, check your answering machine. I think you got a missed call. <laughs> I'm like, that was good. But how do you know what an answering machine is? <laughs> like, I even yelled to him, how do you know what an answering machine is? It was awesome. That was probably the best one I ever heard. Oh, God. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. Um, you had one of the greatest pieces of video I've ever seen between an umpire and a manager, and no words were spoken. It was you and the Hall of Famer Frank Robinson. He was managing the Washington Nationals at the time. You had like a 45-second stare down. What the heck is going on here? So there's a runner on, I want to say first base, two and two count. It wasn't even three, two. It was a two and two count. And I don't know if it was a hit and run, steal. Maybe the runner thought it was full count and he was going on the pitch. I don't know. But it was a pitch, of, you know, low strike. And I don't I, – to this day, I don't know if Frank was yelling at me because I thought he delayed the call. But my timing is different with my voice and then my physical mechanic. Uh -huh. So maybe he thought – or he just disagreed with the call. You know, the, the, he thought it was low. But I never, to this day, I, don't, I never know. But he's yelling at me at the end, end of the end of the inning. So he's yelling at me. I'm like, "What? What are you yelling at? What? What?" And he's like, "No, no, 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 no." You know, I couldn't understand. He's so far away, and and I see him staring. This goes on for a whole half inning. The Braves come up to hit. He's still staring at me, and I'm like, "What?" And I'm just staring at him like this, just like. And they're warming up, right? The pitcher, I can see it out of the corner of my eye. I'm just, all right, I'll stare at you. I can't throw you out. You're not saying anything. People are asking me, why didn't you throw him out? What, you're staring at me? So I'm like, all right, I'll just stare back. And I see the catcher throw the ball down. I'm like, I got to get going. I got to get going. Unbelievable. So I just go unbelievable. And I turn and go to my, you know, breastplate off and stuff like that. And after that, it was, it was, it was done. He's, I guess he woke up. But um, – the next day was cool because I go to third base and they're in the third base dugout. Um, right before the game starts, the pitcher's warming up, right? I hear a whistle out of the dugout. I go, what was that? It's Frank sitting in the dugout. He's you and me on the TV. And I'm like, yeah, that was awesome. That was, that was fun stuff. That was cool. Yeah. And he was, he, he, we've always gotten along since then. I mean, we've always gotten along before that, but We've gotten along since then, especially. I, and he used to come to the, uh, the Umpscare charity event, and we'd, we'd talk and stuff like that. Funny thing was, um, another story to that, it was Christmas. And I was visiting uh, Sam at my brother's house over the holidays, and we, me and my cousin brother go to play golf out in, uh, I think it was Steamy Valley somewhere. And we go 
okay, first of all, golf etiquette, you don't go have lunch at the turn. You get something to eat, but you don't right, go you grab have, a dog at the turn and roll. That's it. He goes, come on, let's get something to eat. My cousin, I'm like, no, no, you don't do that. So come on, let's go. I'm like, fine. So we go order food and we're sitting at the table and my cousin goes, hey, isn't that Frank Robinson over there? I'm like, uh, he goes, let's go say hi. I'm like, nope, we're not saying hi. So we go to the 10th hole. We're leaving the table. They're leaving at the same time. So my brother goes, hey, Frank, Randy Wolf, how you doing? Good to see you. You remember my brother? <laughs> I'm like, hey, Frank, good to see you again. And so I go, hey, this is my cousin, Rick. And he goes, he shakes my hand. He goes, <laughs> stares at him. He goes, yeah, you know, got to keep it in the family, right? So he was awesome. He was really good. Did Frank laugh at that? Yeah, he did. Okay, Frank good. Did it. He was the one that stared. He's the one that stared. Yeah, that's awesome. I know. It's me. Oh God, that's. that's I awesome. thought it was your cousin that stared at that. Oh. Is excellent. Oh, everyone got a kick out. It was awesome. Oh, that is excellent. Very, very good. Um, okay, so one of the the bigger fights you had while you were on the diamond was Tigers Indians Sheffield Carmona. Yeah. Are you? supposed to treat it like it's a hockey fight and let guys go for a little while because it's not like you want to get in the middle of like 50 testosterone driven dudes or what do you do they are much heavier much stronger it's like trying to move rocks you can't it's just once they go at it you just go oh okay i'm done i'm like we'll try and get in the middle like if they're just talking like hey calm down you know calm down but once they engage back away because you ain't gonna win ever Ever get hit accidentally? That was, that was funny, yeah, because Carmona hit Sheffield. Yeah. And like the elbow, I think it was the elbow guard or the, the lat or whatever. And the first thing he does is throw him. And then Sheffield had some words, and then Carmona had some words, and they there they go. All right, let them go. And just let the carnage happen. Let them once they run out of steam, then we start separating and see, okay, who else was involved, start picking names and stuff like that, and go about it. That's it. Man, I know. All right, let's talk about a few things, uh, uh, more interesting things about your job as well. For people don't know your schedule. You are, you're like never home. So what, what, what what's the schedule? Oh God. That's schedule. That's my schedule. Sell those pretty colors. Yeah. 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 The blue is the replay. That's when we're in replay. There's one here and one here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Our schedule. Is fun. Um, we do get four weeks spread out off through the season. Um, sometimes those weeks are broken up, so you get three days here, four days there. But we get four weeks off, luckily, um, which really not only physically is a huge recharge, but mentally too. So it's a great time to decompress. Like I feel very decompressed now. So, but, um, and every once in a while, if for me, if I'm being in the West. Um, if I'm staying in the West, I can come home like after a day game, off day, and then fly out the next day. So I get to come home, maybe change my clothes. But a lot of times I'm on three to seven week road trips without oh. getting Seven weeks? Yeah. So I'm living in a hotel with the same clothes. I mean, I do wash them. But, but yeah, same clothes, same shoes. Not the same golf balls because I tend to lose those. So I have to buy you have Jim Wolf on the side of yours, like it was. This was stolen from Jim Wolf's golf bag, just yeah, in case I come across anything. Got my address and there, it's Social Security number on it. Yeah, 
Here's my PIN number. Here's my routing number for my bank if you need that. Exactly. Oh, man. That's brutal, dude. It's not, it is a tough lifestyle that you guys lead. You know, I will say that I'm used to it because I will say also in the minor leagues, you might get two days off, not including the all-star break, but you might get two or three days off during the entire season. Back when I was there, I don't know if they have more now. I think they have every Monday off now. But back when I was in the minor leagues, we got maybe two, three days off and we had to drive everywhere. Sometimes we had 17-hour drives and working every day. And you have either two-man or three-man. So you work on the plate every two days or every three days. And so that was way more of a grind than, than the big league life. I mean, yeah, it's nice to get home every once in a while, but we get, to, we get, we get a choice of hotels. So we stay in decent hotels. We're not staying like the Red Rats Inn or anything right. like that. We're staying in- Which is outstanding, the Red Rats Inn. I've got points at that place. It's excellent. Wow. It's nice, yeah. You get a free pitcher of water. It's awesome. Oh, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, did you ever think of when you were in the minor leagues of quitting, being like, yeah, you know what? I gave it a shot. I'm out. Yeah, there was a time in AAA when I got, when I, my first year in 99, when I got, went up and down for nine games or eight games or whatever it was. I didn't get, the, I chose not to get to fall because I was getting married that September and we were going on a honeymoon and stuff like that. So in 99, the Fall League in 99 implemented what's now the four-man system that we work today, where the, out, the, the base guys would go out on every fly ball. Where when I came up through the National League, it was you only go out if you have to go out. So can of corn, you're coming in and coming to the base. So the following spring training, I'm working the way I knew. I was never told. No one ever told me that the system had changed. Um, the big league guys certainly didn't because it wasn't their system. Yet it hadn't been fully implemented yet. And so, and none of the minor league guys, my colleagues told me either. Hmm. And um, so I'm can of corn. I'm coming back into second base if I'm working second. So spring training rolls around and it ends. And now we've got to go to the season. All these guys are getting games that I had games first before them. So I'm getting passed up left and right the whole first half of the season. So luckily, the guys that I was with said, hey, I've been to the fall league. This is our system. This is how we're going to work it. So once I started working in the fall, working the format system where it was properly supposed to be worked, then I, the supervisors started seeing me, started, started seeing, you know, I conformed to the new system. And the, the opener after the second half, I got to work the, the interleague with uh, uh, Potters and Mariners. And I got to work 29 games that year. The following year, 2001, I worked uh, about 140 games. So it was, it was a good progression. So once they saw that I could work the system, then they were like, okay. It was like I was paying a price because it was, they thought maybe I was, I was rebelling and not saying, screw you, I'm not gonna work that system. But I just didn't know. Got it, it's interesting. Yeah. I got another Pinella story from here. Yes. So that, that series I was just talking about, there was a runner on first and second and a ball. There was a guy warming up and as at the Murph. So the bullpens were in the corners of the field. So I heard, Hey, there's a ball in the outfield and all was hitting. And so I look over my shoulder I'm working first and a ball had gotten out to right field. So I'm like, Time and it was loud too. It was a good crowd. 
time, time. The guy pitched. I'm like, oh, and it was like slow. No. Allroot hits a gapper. Klesko turns around and goes, I heard you. <laughs> Allroot round second. I'm going, dun, dun. I'm walking across toward the mound. Ed Rapuano had the plate. Rocky Rowe had second. And I'm like, time, time, time. And Rap looks at me like, I got two heads like, oh, my God, what have you done? I go, dude, I had time out. Whatever. Here comes Pinella. What the hell's going on out there? You know how Pinella is, you know, right? And I'm like, Lou, I had time out. He goes, what? What the hell's going on? I'm like, there was a ball out in right field. He goes, what, a beach ball? I go, no, a baseball. And this was the coolest part. Rocky Rose said, Lou, I had him call timeout. I heard him, and so did he. And he pointed to John Moses, the first base coach. And he looked at John Moses, he went, <laughs> you know, stumbling off or whatever. The next pitch, they had to bring everybody back. First and second again, whatever. The next pitch to Allroot puts it over the right center field wall. Oh, my God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It was like, I still get goosebumps. Look at that. Still get goosebumps from that. And it's just like, oh, thank you so much. Because if he grounded a double play. Oh, my God. Guys, that is great. Reports. Yeah, it sucks. Uh, do you hate replay? No. No, 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 no. I love it. Because of the Jim Joyce situation and other situations I've had where it has cost the game. I've made calls where it cost them the game. Maybe not at that point, but, you know, you always think of the coulda, woulda. You know, if he'd have done this, he'd have, he'd have done this. You know, the coulda, shoulda, woulda. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've made some calls where I, like I said, I kicked myself for that reason. And now that we have replay, you can correct that. And it's not even spoken about. As a matter of fact, in, in the 19 World Series, I had to play at first base. Couldn't hear the catch. It was so loud. I couldn't hear the pop of the mitt. Called him out, and he was safe. And we overturned it. Boom, no problem. Boom, boom, boom. And you don't even hear, you don't even know that. You probably didn't even know I did it. And it was, it was just, uh, it's a saving for us. Now, having said that, they still, you know, people say, well, they're not held accountable. Yeah, we are. We have stats. So if you miss enough calls, whether they're corrected or not, you miss enough, you're not going to get rewarded for getting postseason. So that is our accountability, besides of us holding us, ourselves accountable, accountable. Um, I can't, I can't tell you how many times where I missed a play. I'm like, damn it. You know, it's like, I shouldn't have missed that. Or you know, there's some plays where, you know, you got that super duper slow-mo where the guy pops off the base for a second in the glove salon. You yeah. just can't see that with the naked eye. But there's some where you go, damn it. I was, how could I miss that? That's what we call a kick. We kick the call. There's yeah. miss and a kick, you know? So yeah, I'm very much in favor of I will say this. I think replay, to be honest with you, has shown how good you guys are, not how bad you are at the job. We've definitely, we've definitely gotten better. And that has made us better because it's, it's allowed us to slow our timing down and give us a little more processing time. And we are, I bet you, if you just love, left out the replay, if you looked at our missed calls versus our missed calls from 2013 on, I'll bet you, or 14 when our first year replay. From then prior, I'll bet you our stats are way better. It's interesting. I, here's the one thing I would say. Two, I think when you are working replay, 
for the week up in Chelsea or however long you're up there, that you guys should not know what the call is on the field. That way you're judging it without a bias. Is that, is that possible or no? I wouldn't say that's accurate because we need to know, first of all, we need to know what the call is on the field because we have to say either overturn stands or confirm. So we have to know what the call is on the field to whether, you know, if, and then we, there's no bias because we now as a replay official are biased are not biased or we have to be held accountable to our call. But why and, can't you guys be the end all be all? If it goes to replay, why can't you be the ump making the call? And it doesn't matter what was called on the field. Because sometimes you have, you don't have an angle to where you can't tell. You have to have a definitive angle. You can't say, well, I think he tagged him here. You, when you walk into that replay center, you leave your thinking cap in the door. You have to be able to see visibly whether he tagged the guy, whether, okay. you see, whether if you see space, if you don't see space. Now, if you can't see either one, you can't prove one way or another. You have to go with stance. But if you see, and there's a lot of angles that you see on the Jumbotron that they won't show, but that you won't show on the Jumbotron that you get at the replay center. By the way, we Got moved it. to town. We're no longer in Chelsea. But, um, oh, all right. Um, yeah, we just moved this year. And uh, so there's, you have to have visible, clear evidence to either confirm or overturn. Now, if you get a close play, you have to ask yourself, okay, he called him out, say. Now, if it's one way or another, can I overturn him or can I confirm it? Because if you don't have enough to confirm it, you can't overturn. Like say he calls him safe, okay. Do I have enough? What's my video look? What's my angles? Okay. I have no evidence to, to prove anything one way or another. Got so it. I stands it. And it's, I think there's a lot of misconception out there where we think that you know, we're just backing up the umpire, where we have to back ourselves up because we're, we're now held accountable. Got it. Can we confirm or deny that your dog is hungry or wants to go outside? Do we have to send this to replay? Um, no, this is definitely confirmed. It's, it's, it's dinner time. Oh. It's, it's what time? Like three o'clock. I don't know what time it is, but it's three, uh, it's th we're taping at three 30. What is your dog's? Oh God. It's a half hour past dinner time. Oh, now if I open that door, she's going to be, she's going to be blood curdling loud, blood curdling. She's a French bulldog. So she's a, she's got a very long bark. So, um, yeah, it's, she wants to be let in cause she hears me talking. But oh. she, to, she well, first and foremost, she wants to eat. Yeah, well, she also a daddy's girl. That's okay. Yeah, that's cool. Lola. Here's the other thing I would love to hear about replay. I really want you guys to go the route of the NFL and the NBA and put mics on and explain to everybody. I really think that it would it would help. Yeah, I think we were going that route pre-COVID. Um, okay. In the spring of nineteen. It was the spring of 20. It might have been spring of 20. It was spring of 20. We were going to the ballparks, Chase Field, all the big league ballparks, and we were getting on the headset. And we we're saying, uh, the Los Angeles is challenging now, call it first base. And then we'd go and we'd switch off just like that, just like the NFL guys. And then we'd listen for the guys. And then we'd click back on, call stands, runners out. Or, you know, or whatever. And we, then we'd explain the situation. But I mm -hmm. think it will go to that eventually. I think maybe next year. I don't know when. 
all depends on what the, I don't know if, if the players association has to vote on it or right. Or it's always something. Yeah. It's always something, but I, no, I but think, as long, you'd be comfortable. I mean, but you've got a great personality. You will be, you will have no problem. The minute they throw a mic on you, you're going to be like, yo, what's up people. I'll tell you what, that is nerve wracking. That is, uh, it is just doing it with nobody in stands. That's nerve wracking. That's like, whoa. And I couldn't imagine having a whole, you know, full house talking to a spot on the, at the press box. That's what you do. You just, they say, look at a spot on the press box where the camera might be. And you just look at that rather than looking at the people. Cause if you look at the people, you can get overwhelmed. Right. But I tell you, it was, it was a nerve wracking experience just cause it was new. You know, was, right. I'm sure we get used to it. Hopefully not used to too used to it. Cause if you're on the headset a lot, you don't want to get used to it. But let, you know what? Let's practice one. Here we go. Uh, we're going to have an overturn call. Uh, hey, Jim, let everybody know we're going to have an overturn call. So you just repeat after me. Uh, upon further review. Yeah. Yeah. So you go uh, after review. Uh, overturn. The runner is safe. Okay. Repeat after me. Yeah. After review, the runner, the call is overturned. The runner is safe. Please and don't boo me. I know I kicked yeah. the shit out of that. Not my fault. I'm just on the phone. Don't kill the messenger. <laughs> All right, a couple more things before we let you go back to swinging yeah. that golf club and feeding your dog. Um, Umps Care, you mentioned the charity. Yeah. Uh, I've had the good fortune of, of hosting some virtual events for you guys. For people that aren't familiar with it, it is a wonderful, wonderful charity. Tell us about what it does as you move around the country. You know, it started out as just a charity to help retired guys and, and umpires in need, and it has blossomed and evolved into it's uh, the Boys and Girls Club of America. Um, we got a Blue for Kids thing, uh, which um, foster kids come to the ballpark. They get a real red carpet experience. There's blue carpet, I guess you could say. Um, they come into our locker room. We walk them on the field. We leave them tickets. So it's a whole, not just going to the game, but they get to come see what we do, walk on the field. They get to look in the dugout, even bring them in the dugout sometimes. If uh, you know, there's not too if it's not too busy. Um, sometimes if they get early enough, they can watch BP, uh, and it's just an experience for them. Um, the uh, Build a Bear program, mm-hmm. uh, we go to the hospital visits, and that's probably the most rewarding for me. Is that these kids are terminally ill, whether it's cancer or some other bad disease they have. That you know. They're in the hospital all the time and they're feeling like crap and they got tubes up everywhere. And it's just like, no day's a good day. And then you come in and they don't know who we are, first of all. So it's not like, oh, they're the umpires, even though they say it's like they can't. Right. The umpires. Okay, so what? Well, we come in and bring them a bear and they get to dress them up. And and, and anywhere from, from like ages three to up to teenagers, I've seen even 20 year olds. Um, that are sick they come in and we give them a bear and it just puts a smile on their face and for a second they're happy and their parents see that and they go oh my god i haven't seen a child smile in two months and it's just that is humbling and so rewarding that it's just it, it breaks my heart and it, and, it, and it fills it with joy at the same time uh i'm scared it is a good good charity um if you're so inclined please donate and and help them out and uh, let's continue to raise funds because they are doing some great, great work. I'm really proud of you guys. And I, and I love hearing those stories. Yeah. Um, we're going to let you go. But every guest here spins the wheel of moderately interesting things. Okay. Are you good at game shows? 
oh, I'm great at game shows. You would have been a great game show. You would have been a great game show contestant. Like I could see you running down on the prices, right? You would have been jumping, pumping your fists. Oh, how about how about uh, let's make a deal? I can go on my own party. Oh my god! Face mask and everything. Please do that one off season, please. (laughs) Wayne Brady will uh, pick you right out of the audience. All right, I've done that one too many times. I'm gonna bypass that. Uh, Oh, here we go. I just made it. Job fair. What is the one one job in a baseball stadium you would love to have other than the one that you currently do? Does general manager owner count? Hell yes, it does. Well, owner, come on now. That's a little too much. Really? Uh, Yeah, I would say in front of general managers to be in charge, that would be nice. You Um, have that kind of brain? Huh? You have that kind of brain? <laughs> I hire people with brains. That's what I would do. Can we leave it at this? What is the one thing you want our listeners and viewers to take away about your job that we don't even think about? We are away from home. We are human beings. Um, we are not just robots that, that crawl out from under a rock and then go back in. We are not fans of any team, so we don't care who wins. We just, our goal is to be right. So, and we are human and we actually, there are a couple guys that are in the paper right now that are, have been got, gotten a lot of scrutiny. And if you met them, you would think they're the sweetest people on the planet because they would give you the shirt off their back had you just met them. Um, and we are actually a bunch of really nice guys and with a lot of personality and we're very personable and um, we're, we're just, we're just human and we're, we're just regular people. I've gotten to know a few of you guys over the years, none better than uh, Mr. Jim Wolf, who's good enough to join us today. Dude, I hope you had fun. This was a blast for me. And I think, I think it really helps people understand that. Yeah. You guys are just dudes. You're just trying your best. That's all, and, and you're damn good at what you do. And I won't tell you that I haven't yelled at the screen and maybe used your name in vain occasionally against my Indians, but doesn't mean I, I, I don't love you, because I do. I love you, too. Listen, man, this was fun. We'll do this again at some point, all right? I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, go feed your dog, because I, I don't want – I definitely don't want your French bulldog on my bed. So oh, she's going to I don't want to be on the bed. When I open that door, you want to hear Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Come here. <laughs> Come here. Numbers? Wait. Numbers? What are their names? That's Bentley right there. Lola's last. Oh, yeah. All right. Go feed him. Uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Chris Rose Rotation, a production of John Boy Media. Big shout out to our editor extraordinaire, Robbie Chiracco. Jim Wolf, stay healthy and have a good rest of your 2021. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it, man. You have a great summer.